You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Cody, can you look up some of the libertarian races that we wanted to watch and find out some of those percentages? Because, like, all my equipment's tied up and all this stuff, so I haven't, like, like, Ojeda, that one, the Democrat was supposed to win that one, and the Republican won. So uh, that one I'll have to re-look at. I actually didn't even have that as a toss-up race. So, so well, well, what I want to know right now is, like, I heard in a group chat, somebody said uh, that... Um, I knew it was Creighton tapping on that goddamn desk. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, not any, I wasn't even doing anything. You were tapping on something. I'm and not I tapping didn't... on anything. Well, then maybe it's your boner or something. But uh, uh, <laughs> well, here's California. Let's see if Rohrbacher. Um, but I heard Larry Sharp is like doing worse than the Green Party candidate. Yeah, the Green Party candidate is beating him right now. Uh, what's the what are the totals in that? It's like one point five percent for the green and one percent for sharp. Man, that's going to be a hard pill to sw- oh that Kaufman race there. Uh, Kaufman losing in Colorado. Colorado that district has Aurora and it's right next to Columbine. So Kaufman was basically um, he lost because he's a pro NRA. Republican and the Democrat there just basically ran every town. So this coffin, this may be interesting to cover tomorrow, Hody. Um, I heard this on 538, I think, or I heard it on some podcast where they were talking about, talk about fear mongering. They basically, every town, Bloomberg's anti-gun thing ran ads of a text message exchange between a mother and a daughter in a classroom that's being shot up. And saying, "Do you want your child to go through this? Then vote vote for the Democrat that isn't funded by the NRA." So, really, kind of a despicable ad. But, Something uh, that uh, I think, th- and and I believe that did happen. So, I'm actually from Aurora. I live out here in Utah, but I've actually spent the majority of my life in Aurora. My family's still back in Aurora. Um, Colorado's become bluer than almost any blue state during like my lifetime. I mean, it's mm. one of the bluest states out there. You can project that. I mean, it's right there with like Craig DeCosta's Hawaii as far as Obama numbers go and everything like that. Now, there's a huge amount of rural area in Colorado, but there's a huge uh, centralized push to get everybody into Denver and Boulder. And the it's I think the Denver city limits are like larger than than like any other city. So there's something crazy like that where you're like, oh, no, you're still in Denver, even though it takes you an hour to get to the Broncos game, you know. So it's a. Uh, there's there's some interesting dynamics happening in Colorado as well as some, I mean, if we're looking at Colorado specifically, something very unique about Colorado is they break a lot of what you would traditionally say, like, so for example, they struggle with like massive amounts of unemployment and they retain their like governor Hickenlooper, like a, a, a few years back and it's Paulus now, but you know, he, he's Democrat. So they're going to elect whoever the Democrat is now. And that wasn't always the case. Um, they actually had Ritter, um, their governor, Ritter, Bill Ritter, who was, uh, if you check times like top 10 political scandals, he's on there. He uh, stole money from the schools that was supposed to go to schools. Nice. And um, yeah, and uh, they, they like 
Coloradans would have voted for him anyway. And they just voted forever the next blue guy was. So Colorado is like in a really crazy, they, they've gone from like middle of the road, you know, we voted for George H.W. Bush once to, you know, very, very, very blue. Mm. And I will say like being out there, that's one of those like, you know, you find areas in the country where if you're in the Ku Klux Klan, somebody might give you like a, a secret handshake and be like, keep up the good work, brother. And you get somewhere you might get shot outside like the Denny's, you know, and, and Colorado is one of those where it's like if you have your MAGA hat, like you're in physical danger. And is it because so many uh, California people have moved there? So Colorado did uh, something for infrastructure. And I have some um, I have two sister-in-laws that are both engineers. One's an architectural engineer. The other's a um, structural engineer. And they, uh, they both work like for the government, but, or they, I'm sorry, they work for a contractor through the government, but they get contracted out for so much work. Now, Colorado during my lifetime while I was there went from like the state that was like 44th in debt per person to third in debt per person. Hmm. They, they spent a huge amount of money, to get they're right behind like Illinois and California or whatever. And, and uh, I, I'd have to check debt clock. I didn't check it. I think since I moved a few years ago, but I believe that's still probably the case. They just invest. They just, I, I guess they say invested, but they just took debt after debt after debt to keep making jobs artificially keep doing infrastructure. And so they did make it so that it's a, like a, like a high demand place to live. I have a house out there. You and I talked about this before the mortgage on it. I mean, the whole reason I live out here in Utah is cause it's just, it was such a good deal. I, you know, my mortgage on it's like $500 and my renters pay 2,200 on it. And it's just, I, I mean, I'm dumb almost not to move and like live meagerly and have those guys cut. I mean, they pay four times what the mortgage was. Right. So the housing market exploded out there. Everybody is moving out there. People want to be out there. Um, because and here's what they said and she is she's a libertarian as well my sister-in-law but she's one of those who said it's kind of one of those like stimulus is done right because they actually they borrowed the money which happened in california and illinois but they actually did build things with it they actually did build infrastructure with it now i'm sure there's a lot of waste of course there was like i said we had the guy who stole from the schools and everything but there's but it was there were jobs that came out of it. There is infrastructure out of that borrowing. So Coloradans are actually very happy, even though their misery index is so high, it's still the most fatally drunk place you can get in the country. Like you're more likely to die because of a drunken accident. And in Colorado, that other place, they get fatally drunk out there. There's like a lot of indicators that would suggest that they're unhappy, but they are so cool with like what they've done there and they just want to keep it going. Hmm. Um, so as being from Aurora specifically, my brother was actually in the theater next to that shooting. He thought they were, um, he, he thought I didn't even know he was there. So I didn't, I, I never had to live through any worry. My mom did. I had no idea he was there that night. Um, he actually was at the theater next door. The exit, the emergency exit went through the bottom of his theater. And so people started crawling out when he heard the gunshots. It was actually during, uh, you know, it was during the, uh, with the dark Knight rises, Mm-hmm. that scene where uh, they're on the helicopters and he thought they were trying some kind of like new cutting edge, like sound effects thing. Wow. And he was like, that's weird because there's not gunshot during this scene, but those are really realistic gunshots and surround sound and like interesting. And then like 
so his friend that he was sitting with went to the bottom to ask the people like what's going on like are you guys like actors are you guys like part of this movie like that are like ah run and and then his friend was like yeah we got to get out of here right now wow that's yeah yeah it's a wild wild thing and uh you know gun 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 stuff you know they're very anti-gun now um they still embrace some rural stuff um i guess like weed i guess if that can be considered rural i guess i mean some people might consider that urban but as far as like growing it um i think there's still very like almost all the democrats out there is still like a little bit like pro rancher at least in like their dialect but they're all very like let's make this city as big as we can um denver like I think they have four times as many empty apartments as they do a uh, homeless population. And it's, it's a disaster of a city, but they keep financing it. And for some reason, Coloradans are just into it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. I, like I said, it, it, it defies everything that you think should happen. You'd think they would be the reddest state after going through this, but they're just not. Uh, I saw it go across the screen, but uh, Rod Bloom is down in Iowa, and uh, he's also a liberty-leaning Republican. Is he um, for a governor? No, House. House. Yeah. Um, Massey got reelected, though, and I'm assuming Mosh did, even though I haven't seen his yes, stuff. That's the, th- the thing. Uh, so I switched it, but... Um, when you when you watch the Fox News crawler at the bottom, Michigan was supposed to be one of these places where they're really going to turn blue, and it didn't happen. Um, I think they really like Amash in his district. Yeah, they. I mean, There's that Kaufman, Hody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and Mike Coffin was actually a longtime Republican out there. Uh, that I guess I'm I'm still not surprised because, like I said, everything's going bluer and bluer. But yeah, he's he's uh, he's been in politics for a while. I don't know. I think the biggest takeaway for me is that it wasn't that it's it's not that it, it falls short of uh, 2010 in the opposite direction. Like, yeah, I mean, everyone, I guess kind of like my, uh, agent of chaos in me wanted it to just be a, uh, a, uh, the, the Republicans keep control of the house just so that everyone would be like, what yeah. the hell is happening? Right. I have no idea what's going on. But like the fact that it wasn't such a big takeover is actually probably like, because it's more realistic that it happened this way, obviously, because it's happening. Um, it's it, but it does from like the political perspective, like it really says a lot about what will and won't work because house districts, I mean, houses, they always flip. Like, that's the thing. That's the whole point. That's why they're every two years is they're supposed to flip a lot. And like, after all this, after everything we've heard for the past two years and like, I mean, it, it should have been so much bigger than this. And it wasn't, and I don't know, I guess, like, what do the Democrats do? Do they double down on the same stuff that they've been doing? Which is what they'll do. Which is probably what they'll do, because they can't help themselves. But, like, that is that, that's not going to work. Like, they, they are lost in the wilderness, man. They really are. 
What are they? And I guess you could kind of say this is uh, not dissimilar to the Tea Party in 2010. But like with the Tea Party, there was some message of initially it was, you know, taxed enough already. It was lower taxes. And then, you know, then it became social conservatism. But uh, what do you, what, what are like, are they really offering you? <laughs> like, what, are, I guess I don't get, like, well, I want, I want Medicare for all. Okay, well, that's not a realistic goal. That's just not something that can happen. Like, there's no way to pay for that. So they don't, they don't care about that. I, I've actually heard some people are like, you talk about like my favorite, my favorite data point with that is that we already have Medicare for all for old people. And it costs two thirds of the federal budget. We have Medicare for all guaranteed basic income for old people. And that's two thirds of the federal budget right there. That's two thirds of the federal budget for a minority, like 14% of the country gets right all that stuff. And that's two thirds of the federal budget. And you're like, Oh, let's make it for everybody. And they're like, Oh, but the costs will even out if it's totally universal. Like that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but they don't care. It's, it has nothing to do with it. Especially if you try and tell them, look, if this is going to happen, then you're going to have to pay more taxes. Like Sweden's top, bottom tax rate is like 60%. Like if you want that, but like, they don't want that. They think that Jeff Bezos can pay for all this by himself. And they don't, they don't, they don't understand the reality of it. So, right. It is probably not going to happen from that perspective. Although again, I don't make predictions. So, you know, it totally could, but like, I, I do think it's one of those things where when people really get face to face with like the truth of the numbers, then their opinions will probably change a little bit. I guess I'm a, an idiot. I didn't realize there was a U.S. Senate special election in Mississippi and the Republican yeah, there is only winning by one. Who who is that replacing? I don't know. Um, I actually didn't know Th- that wasn't supposed to be close. Whatever it was wasn't like not only wasn't even supposed to be close. Like it was supposed to be like like dark red. Uh, yeah. So it's advancing to a runoff. So there's two Dems, two Republicans, and uh, Chris McDaniel, who I think is a uh, Mike Espy just clicked over into a one percent, so they're going to have a runoff with that. But I know, I guess I don't realize who was. Uh, I can't F- believe the Green Party got one point seven percent and Larry Sharp's at one. I know that's Gosh, see, that's welcome to New York. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of new. See, he brought in a lot of new people, and there's going to be a lot of new people who are feeling what it what it means to be a libertarian yeah. the first time today, which is you do all that work, you get really excited, you think you're going to win, and then you get 1%. I've been there, and it sucks ass, man. It is so defeating, but you just keep stepping back up and getting punished. Uh, Thad Cochran, Thad Cochran uh, stepped down. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, pretty Ill. he's pretty ill. I don't why I mean I don't know why libert honestly like why the Libertarian Party puts any effort on this state or city at all like this that is not like if you can pick or choose your battles then do not pick this place because this is the walls of Troy over here man uh, I'll tell you why I mean Larry Sharp killed it in the vice presidential debate and. Uh, he wants to run for president at some point and he needed a race that would get him national attention. 
and build him a good base and a good foundation when he wanted to run for president. And I think he did that. So like he, it doesn't matter what his outcome was going to be. He won already. Like he's the most beloved libertarian person in the party. Like nobody's, nobody cares of what Gary Johnson's results are tonight. They care what Larry Sharp's doing. You know, like there's just, I haven't seen anybody in the last few days post anything about Gary Johnson. But isn't that a problem though? Gary- uh, if, if you were going to compare two people who had a better chance of actually getting elected, Gary Johnson had a better chance than Larry Sharp did. Yeah, well, it's all libertarians don't know politics from a hole in the ground. But also, there's a, there's an enormous problem with uh, Gary Johnson's team. They don't know how to they don't know how to harness the grassroots like like Larry Sharp does. That's like Larry but that's, you can say that about every LP candidate ever, though. So. I heard his campaign manager was really good. Yeah. No. 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 Um, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah, his it's campaign not, manager will tell you how great he is all the time. Yeah, if it's Ron Nielsen, then it's a hard no. Um, you know, he should have he should have had a much like I don't know where Gary's at, but I'm gonna tell you whatever it's at. He should have had a much better showing. But I, I don't think he really was running because he wanted to run. I think he was running because he wanted to help the party out. It was something, something to do. You know, it's it's one of those that these long-term strategies where, you know, and, and you know, these SAR work employed strategies where we want as many big candidates on the ballot as possible. Truthfully, we didn't really even give Larry Sharp that much money for advertisement more than anybody else. So it wasn't like it diverted a ton of resources. Right. You know, he elected, I mean, I can tell you being part of his team, we weren't running like we weren't even looking at national ads. He's like, you know, these networks, even if we get the money together, aren't going to run them. So they're going to run them at the times we want to. So they just were like, you know, he was just like, let's go social media. Let's drive. Let's get in cars. You know, I'll take that money in gasoline. You right. know, so I can move and drive. And I mean, obviously it looks like we could have done a better showing, maybe afforded one or two national advertisements, but you know, it like he was fine with taking the same amount of money as, you know, uh, uh, Lord over in, um, what, North Dakota or wherever. Uh, yeah. You know, well, libertarians need to learn the Austin Peterson lesson. Oh God. Ugh. I hate her. Uh, that new improved Joker smile. Here's the podium, ma'am. Let me. How you feeling? Did you see that uh, $200,000 do alcohol in one year? Don't turn the volume up on her. Here. Nancy Pelosi is the spooky skeleton. She, uh, she doesn't even have to be in her district. Thank you all. Thank you all very much. Thank of course she doesn't have to be in her district. She doesn't have to do anything ever again. She'll get reelected until she dies. She'll retire and get reelected. Elizabeth Warren with the biggest like political gaffe of my lifetime, and she still gets reelected. I want to salute the chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Aren't we proud of Ben Ray Lujan? Ben Ray Lujan. I want to acknowledge my two grandsons. No, but to the, to the libertarian point, what, why isn't there a push on the national arm to just focus zero on any kind of like federal level race and just target exceedingly 
low hanging fruit local races across the country with all this national money and take those over. Well, they do. They do both. But the problem is nobody, nobody gives a shit about winning a township race. Like right. they, no one, no like, one cares far in politics. But the thing is, is like if you can say that you've been elected as a libertarian, that goes a lot further than saying, why don't you make me the first one to be elected as a libertarian? Yeah. The other problem is, you know, look at Ed Coleman, you know, here's a sitting city county councilor. We pumped $75,000 nationally into it, which is really a lot at the time. And it didn't do a damn thing because there were, there were external factors that we but didn't. It's not, but that's what I'm saying. It's not, wasn't really a low hanging fruit. Yeah. He flipped while he was already elected, but like straight ticket voting and, uh, and being a jackass. Yes. Like libertarian, libertarians, I don't think are ever going to do well in places that lean blue. Like ever. And Indianapolis, and I don't know exactly what his specific city county council district was and whether or not it was red or blue usually or whatever, but like. I would disagree. I just don't think, I, I, I mean, we had a Topeka city county councilor. I, I just don't think that any kind of low hanging fruit race is something that's going to get national attention that somebody's going to go, oh, look. And so somebody like Larry Sharp. Not one. One won't. For sure, one won't. Yeah, we have 200 elected right now. Yeah, not right. doing anything. So the, the, the issue is, though, is Larry Sharp does so much more good, even if he gets 1%. Larry Sharp going on Glenn Beck three times, going on, uh, I think he was on Ben Shapiro's Sunday special, or maybe I'm confusing that with another Glenn Beck podcast. He was on Joe Rogan. He was on... CNN and he was on he was on a ton of stuff and that that report that raises the profile so much more than winning a city county council seat or you're, you're, you we don't have the amount of money to win a United States House seat or a f, uh, you understand the as well as anybody working for y'all and you know working in these house races. Like you understand the systemic problems that there are in trying to win a house race, you know. Like, right. That's why I'm saying, you know, if if you have if you have a limited supply of funds, don't focus on races that are the most expensive in the history of America. I well, I don't think that it ever shakes out. Like, there's no central planning to it, and and that's that's part of it is that there's no. You don't know in the Libertarian Party who your great candidates are going to be, you know. And so Larry Sharp can say, "I'm going to run for Senate or Governor," or you know, and that can be exciting for Libertarians. But I don't know. This is just one of those things where it's like if you if you were the executive director of the National Party, you'd hear that criticism, and there wouldn't be much that you could do about it because of a hundred different factors that mean that you couldn't pool that much money. You can't because the, the amount of money. So there were four, there was $435 million spent on third party candidates this cycle. There's no person directing that money. Like there is with Soros or Steyer or the Koch brothers on, on the libertarian scene. If you get a meeting with uh, Chris Roofer, who is the libertarian Koch brother, you may get a $50,000 check or you may get a $5,000 check, but that's still not going to be enough. It's not going to be a $10 million check, which is what you'd really need to build enough name ID to even make a dent 
in a house race. So the problem is that there's such a systemic money just is not raised in general, let alone in the libertarian party uh, where you could centralize all those resources and direct them at one thing. That's fair. And and maybe it's more of a, uh, like, but the, see, the thing is the LP is small enough that everyone kind of knows everybody that like, I feel like you could put, I don't know, from as far as a long-term strategy, in, for, in my view, I think that getting things on a more local level to a significant extent, like to the point where it does become something that people are talking about, like, oh, yeah, Republicans, Democrats, still the national parties, but there's this third party that has a lot of, a lot of city, city seats, a lot of county seats, all across the country in a ton of states and a ton of districts that are red or blue or whatever, like, yeah, it doesn't happen fast. You know, it take decades, but that's really what you're looking at. Like, I don't think you're ever going to get to a point where like, what is the strategy now? Get somebody who's popular enough to get enough of the presidential vote to be qualified for public funds or something like, like that, that doesn't seem like a, like a, like a long-term strategy to me. Like, like if you're going to be serious about trying to make the Libertarian Party a party that governs, then you need to get people more than 200, which is fine. But like you need to get there. There are far more than 200 seats on local levels. And I mean, not just like dog catcher, but like city, county. I mean, and there's got to be low hanging fruit out there for you to get enough people out there to actually make to have a con to make people have a conversation because they're working with these Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, like maybe there's some sort of critical mass or something, but like, to me, that seems like a better long-term strategy for growth than trying to get the next celebrity guy to just darts on the, or darts on the, yeah. the, The issue is that you have so few libertarians, like, you know, having trained all these students, like the, the kids that came out of what you guys were doing at y'all and what Cliff Maloney's doing, they're creating activists who actually understand politics and know how it will work. I never worked with anybody in the local Libertarian Party in the, de- in the decade that I was really working hard with the party. I never really met anybody who understood how politics works, except Evan McMahon, and he, it's because he switched parties too. You know, there's there's just very few people who are in the Libertarian Party who are in a leadership level who understand that you have to go knock on doors, that you have to do these things. They think if I throw five thousand, if I fo- throw five hundred dollars worth of radio ads up at the end of this race, then I'm a shoe in to win. And it's like, no, that's not even going to make a, even a remote dent in this. That's so, what really does make dents ever for anybody. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, you have to do what Jeremiah did, which is be a member of the community for a long time, be a prominent voice in the community, serve on, you know, some park board. You have to then knock on every door. Then you have to send a mailer, do a radio ad, get billboards, get yard signs. You know, the amount of work that that takes is not something that a lot of libertarians actually want to do because they really, I I don't think many people do. I don't think there's... I don't think people in the Republican Democratic Party necessarily want to do that stuff, but they do it because there's power behind it or there's money to be made by being one of those people knocking on doors and being the strategist. So, 
the the problem with the with the growth the long-term growth of the libertarian party is really systemic and it starts with people actually first embracing politics and how it works and second executing it and over and over and over until they've perfected it and then teaching a bunch of other people how to do it and i just don't see a lot of temperament uh so i i just I hear what you're saying, and I think you're exactly right. It's just not how it works. It's not how the party is made up. The party is made up of people who were sitting on a night like this, watching their TV, going, something is not right. I need to make a difference. How do I do it? They listen to a podcast, or they watch a YouTube video. Then they contact a local party. They go hang out at meetings. They do stuff like that. You know, But there's never really like hardcore grassroots education and then multiple applications of it. Because if you're a Republican and you're 18 and you want to go out and you want to learn how to do politics, well, you got like 10 different opportunities a year. You could work on five different campaigns. So, you know what I'm saying? Like those 10,000 hours really do matter. Like working, working with a um, Americans for prosperity or young Americans for Liberty, you're going to get those reps and you may be flown to different locations, but you're going to get those reps and local people on the ground in their local community at the libertarian party level. Don't get those reps unless they live in a place like Henry County where you've got Rex Bell and then Jeremiah carrying on the torch and repeated multiple cycles where the same people are doing politics. So if you want the Libertarian Party to grow, yeah, you're right. You've got to have the Danny Lundys of the world going out, knocking on doors, doing politics the way they're supposed to do it, and he got a 17% result in a four-way race. That's huge. It's not a win, but it's a really good base. It's enough. It's 1,300 people. He now has a constituency. And if he does it about three more times, he's going to win, you know, but how do you say to somebody, I need you to, I need you to do this again, two more times for the next decade, and you're probably going to lose. And then you might win on the fourth time, you know, so it's just a really hard sell. You have to be really committed to it. Right. And I, I, I agree completely. And that's why I think finding somewhere where you can actually start winning and not be like, Oh, we did well this time. We got 2%, you know, like, that's to me, that's a harder sell. Like to try and tell people, like you just said, like, you, you know, you try and say, Hey, we did actually really good. We only got, we lost, we got third instead of fourth, you know, like, like those, those are the kinds of things that do turn people off. But if you can get, if you can find a way, and I'm not necessarily saying I know, cause I, I don't know every single local, but I'm just saying like, if you can find places where people can come in from the beginning as libertarian party guys, they win a race. Maybe they win re-election for that race. You do that at numerous places. You don't just have people flip over while they're already elected, which I think is what Ed Coleman did. Like, you know, those are, I think, significant points where you like, look, you know, it's starting small, but we've got people who are, you know, part of our party and they're winning. You know, it's not as sexy as the House. It's not as sexy as a, as a governorship. It's not as sexy as, you know, as a mayor. But, like, right. we have people who are elected representatives from our party all over the country in all of these places, you know. You just have to – honestly, it's just going to have to – you have to be on the ground and you have to know where those low-hanging fruit are at. And, like I said, I don't – obviously, New York isn't a low-hanging fruit. And maybe he's getting good name recognition 
and whatever happens and whatever happens. But like, for me, like I'm looking at this from the perspective of, I want people who have these ideas to actually be in office. Like, yeah, well, you have to have, there's two levels to it that, you know, it, it, so look at Indiana as the model because that's what we're familiar with. You have, you have to have in, you have to run somebody for Senate and you have to run somebody for governor. And the reason is because they get to be in the televised debates and you know that Lucy Brenton is not going to be, Lucy's not going to win, but Lucy is a very important race because it's a marketing race. And so it's that person that it's also that ballot access or it's ballot access with Mark. Yeah. So you have, you have the marketing race and then you have the race where you're really trying to get people, you know, you pump some resources into the marketing race because if somebody calls your office and wants a yard sign for your Senate candidate and you don't have it, you look like an idiot. You look, you look small time. So you got to have some resources, but you know, Rex Bell and Henry County and the, that's where we put the resources. You know, that's where we ran people. Uh, Mark Rutherford went and, you know, campaigned in Montgomery County because that's where we have our highest vote totals for whatever reason. You know, but Rex Bell, when he ran for U.S. House, he was winning precincts. Like, show me another person who was running for U.S. Congress and winning precincts. And that's not a that may not mean anything to anybody, but it means something to me because it tells me that okay, here's the model, and so you have somebody like people in an area, right? So you have somebody like Rex who has been sort of the he he does a bunch of writing for the local newspaper, very personable, a respected member of the community. He runs for the same race a couple of times, then he's like, eh, I'm gonna move up a little bit and. You know, and then he's built a base of people and he's built a county party that is lasting beyond his uh, time. It spread over into Henry County and Randolph County and Union County and Wayne County. And so you now have an organization where you're building on what he did. Jeremiah, the Boss Hog guys. So, you know, that's part of what the Boss Hog of Liberty is about. It's about building on what Rex did by kind of you know, Rex wrote for the newspaper because Rex's generation read the newspaper. Well, okay, let's do a video podcast. Let's do a podcast. And uh, I'll be really interested to see Jeremiah's results because he has a real shot at winning. And so you have to have your marketing races. And yeah, you have to put some resources into it. But those races are important. Larry Sharp is really important to the health of the party because he gives some, he gives those new Gary Johnson voters, somebody to work, somebody to believe in. They may not have anybody in their local area, you know, and they're watching the campaign and they go, okay, this is how politics is done. You know, so those marketing opportunities are really important. But yeah, the real resources ought to be put in the Jeremiah Morrill in the county council districts. You know, Jeremiah wins county council. He serves in county council for a couple of terms. And then he runs for state house and he wins for state house. Um, you know, so oh, Rick Scott, I think is accepting. And I also hate to burst your other bubble, but uh, I, I guess Christy just said that Jeremiah finished in third with twelve percent, and uh, Keenan Gray won. <sighs> oh, that's a ball buster. That sucks. Uh, it looks like our um, at least one of the libertarians in New Hampshire was very sorely beaten. So Jeremiah twenty one hundred, 
fourteen hundred and four ninety. I just I think it's funny that like our best like we could pour infinite amounts of money into it, but currently our best candidate in the nation tonight has been Lucy, and that's because of a dumb Trump tweet. Like stupidest. Yeah, I mean, doesn't matter how hard we try. Well, I don't. I don't think it, I don't, this really can't be understated, though, because so much of the party resources in most states just have to go every single year to petitioning and everything. That like all of this volunteer energy and all of this money could go into good local campaigns, even, but it has to go to just being able to get on the ballot as your party, because yeah. otherwise you end up having to get. You know, you can in some states. At, at Tennessee is the perfect example. They're doing a thing where they're like flooding the governor's race because it's easier to get on the ballot as an independent than it is to get on the ballot as a libertarian. There, th- thousands of people were inspired by Larry Sharp's campaign and 10% of the, let's say if 10% are going to actually get motivated, actually contact the party and 1% of those are actually going to do something, but that, that could lead to real results, you know? And so you could, you could end up with, 500 Jeremiah morals out of the Larry Sharp campaign. And that's what you want. You want, and, and it also helps identify you know, the Laura's, the, the party leaders. So these races are really important, even if they don't, even if they get 1% and it seems like they're wasting a lot of money. You know, so there are benefits to it in growing the party in other areas. And I don't, I don't think you can say that Lucy won just because of Trump. She put a lot of work and effort in and won several debates that she was in. Being in the debate helped her a lot. But she was, she was pulling 4% in every county. Every time the results would come in, it wasn't like she had to drop and then come back up and drop came back. She hovered at 4% throughout the entire state, which is, in my opinion, pretty amazing. So what would you say the difference was between like a Lucy who actually pulled down the four percent and a Sharp who did who, who, who was pulling the four, five, six percent and didn't didn't pull it down? Well, I think part of it is that New York is a different animal than Indiana. Um, it's very yeah. I mean, every year you know the Republican the the, the Libertarian presidential candidates pulling at ten percent. Yeah, the only the only poll that matters is the actual count of votes. Yeah, but like I'm just saying, like, what's the difference between like a Lucy? That number is actually factually happens. Okay, we lost all of our state level elected representatives. Who, where, what, how, who, what? Uh, all of our elected uh, libertarians in New Hampshire were defeated. Yeah, but no, that's not good. Free state, free state. I'm checking Nebraska right now. Do y'all have like people who actually like do like consistent canvassing and round game number crunching, figuring out who's who's and who's unsavable, who in the middle, who's convincible, like. The problem is we can't pay anybody to do that. So we've got volunteers who can, but they can do it on volunteer time. Right, but that's in, but that's that's common. That's common amongst all campaigns, though. Is that you want to like? No, the that's kind of one of the big problems is that at least the old parties they have 
some basic form of infrastructure. They have people at the party level who are able to do those and get the basic figures to you. Um, yes, you know, there is a lot of volunteer work with the, the day in and day out, you know, campaigning. But when it comes to, like, identifying races that you should put donors towards and actually are trying to gain for political advantage, generally there's people who that's their job. Right. There are people who are hired to do those kinds of things. But I know in my experience, like, I've canvassed for people just because I drove up there and canvassed for them. You know, like... Yeah. Like, but... I canvass for them because I like them, obviously. I wouldn't go up. Well, yeah, but that's that's the just day-to-day campaigning. That's not identifying winnable races. No, no. I'm talking about going and figuring out. I mean, it was for a campaign, but it was far enough in advance where it's like, we're just trying to figure out who we should even talk to. Like, trying to figure out who we should actually focus our energy on. And you can only do that by getting an actual map of people's sentiment in your entire universe of people who are going to vote for you. And right, Republicans and Democrats have a bit of an infrastructure set up. They say, all right, this is what we had last time. And, you know, these guys, maybe these guys died or something. And, or these guys were on the margin last time. Let's see if they've ever, you know, but like, you know, if you don't have, and this isn't just your say, I'm talking about in general amongst the libertarian party, like, is there a significant uh, effort to actually like do the the very not fun but so important work of just kind of getting a picture painted of the actual layout of people in your area because yeah. I mean okay like no I, we actually at least at least in our area we had one campaign he he ran full out he got everything he should he canvassed his entire district and it looks like he's about to get three percent. Right. See, the problem, there's, 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 there's several problems that are here. So until you can prove to people that your vote's not a wasted vote or there's a reason to yep. vote for that person, it, they're always going to go, yeah, I'd really love to vote for you, but I got to make sure well, there's the other forms of proof vote. that allow people to make that jump um, mm-hmm. are the things that we can't control. It's things that we bitch about all the time, like debates, like a little bit of media coverage. Right. You know, but the, if somebody bothers to ask you questions about what you stand for. But the other thing, too, is that right now we're becoming so polarized that issues don't hardly even matter anymore. And I think Trump, the, the Trump uh, tamping down of the blue wave also hurt libertarian wave, as it were. Because people are like, I'm, I don't care. I got Trump to go vote for. There, well, people as a party, there's so many systemic problems that have to be fixed at the legislative level, at the mm-hmm. legal level, that really before you can start talking about we, I just see a lot of the same sort of hopeful dreaming statements every single year. And like, I just saw it again in the, in the, in this, uh, in one of our chats, it's like, well, Lucy didn't, Lucy may not have won, but cost, cost per voter. She did really well. It's like, but here, here's shit about how much money you spent, you know, it's like, did you win or not? That's what people care about. And if you want to win, you've got to start lobbying state legislatures to gerrymander fa- favorably, get rid of straight ticket voting, do things that are that are fair and equitable to anybody that isn't part of the establishment. What I, wanted, what I want to say, want to say is that we so we 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 don't realize how much power that the okay, so you could say that the Libertarian Party is not doing what it should be doing, but it's been growing, you know, 
for decades, and you say it's going to take decades to do this. Well, that's what we've been doing for decades. We've been focusing on making sure that we got people elected all across the country in as many races as we can. We're growing. We're, we're the only party that can be on all 50 ballots. We're, you know, the only legitimate third party. No other party's been able to do any better. And most of them do far, far, far worse than we do. So we're obviously doing something right. But the problem is a lot of libertarians want to win without realizing that they still have the, a, a lot of power within this country that they're not tapping into and understanding that they have. Right. So how many elections or how many, you know, how many of these races are so close and neither can they get over 50 percent and the split is covered by the libertarian. So all the, the all they all the other parties have to do is start realizing they need to court the libertarians or at least address the issues that we're concerned about and get some of those, those votes. Really problematic issues. But that also brings up another point is does the LP have issues that are specifically considered like LP issues or is it just the generic libertarian issue? Like and historically third parties have been single issue parties and those single issues end up getting subsumed into one of the major parties. And then you get something like prohibition or something like, or women's suffrage. Libertarian Libertarian party is a philosophy that spans a lot of different issues. I absolutely understand that. And that's not saying that, like, I disagree with any of the philosophy. What I'm trying to say is that it's hard to try and say we need to court libertarian issues if they're a wide swath of them. Historically, third parties had been focused on one issue, and when that specific issue catalyzed enough people to get behind it, one of the major parties would be like, oh, this is an actual significant issue we need to take yeah, in. But, now, and then the party is I mean, but look at gay marriage, look at the marijuana legalization. Those are all things that we've been fighting for for years. Right, but so have so Democrats, though. It looks no. like Laura no. lost. Not, who, who lost? Laura. Uh, Ep- Laura Epke, the uh, Nebraska senator. Okay. So we have no more state-level uh, elected officials now. All Everyone who defected libertarian lost. Yeah, which is fairly common because yeah, but it's but it's a bad sign. Yeah, well, but that's it's just you're trying to sell a message and you can't sell it when you you know that happens. People will always still try to do it. I mean, that's just how it is because it is it is uh, either they're very principled or they're very egotistical. You know, I think Laura was very it was very uh, principled and Ed Coleman was very egotistical. You know, and so he, it's, it's always going to happen and they always almost lose because what, what we learned with Ed Coleman when he switched here as, you know, the 12th largest city county council, we heard a lot of, I feel, I feel betrayed by him. I voted for him one way and then he, he changed his mind, you know, so there is that, that, that's a very strong sentiment sometimes when people switch, it's just the reality of it. Right. So, uh, but the other, <sighs> One one thing I need to say too is before I'm gonna have to get off here soon, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off too here in just a few. But the the real issue is going to have to be that we need to really make people understand the difference between libertarians and the other two parties, and figure out a messaging that's going to get them involved and start understanding we need we're going to have to hire or work with people to help build the party a little stronger who understand politics. We can't keep putting people 
into positions inside the party because they say they're going to go out and, and sound like Ron Paul and do what Ron Paul did. Well, that was a whole different thing. That's not we people understand politics in there doing that sort of work. And I've been saying that since history, like, I got involved. Yeah, we have a history of just popularity contests. Libertarians understand this. So the core of the of the party doesn't understand politics. I th- and that ends up and the people who do understand politics try to tell them what they should be doing are the ones that get slapped down and told to go away. You know, that's so you get frustrated in that area. What was the what was it a couple of conventions ago where guy gets up on stage with his shirt off? Like uh, no, pants, no one, no, but I mean, in the optics, it, maybe right? un, it may be an unfair criticism, but at the same time, it's not. It's like it's sort of indicative of the separation between the people. It's more to me, from my experience, um, outside of Indiana, but like in the, with LP people outside of Indiana, it's more of a club mentality, it's an exclusive club mentality kind of thing. It's yeah. like Oh, we're not Republicans, Democrats. We're cool, you know. We're we're the outsiders, you know. And it's like, and in that sense, growth and and success are almost to their entire personality as to why they're even involved in the first place. And okay, Christy Avery just walked in my house. <laughs> Run! What are you doing? No, get away from me! You're an intruder. I, I have a caravan of super fans. He's being videotaped. Now's not a be- now's not a good time to rape him, Christy. <laughs> Did you hear him? <laughs> All right. Well, I should I keep the stream going or should I shut it off? No, I'm out of here, bro. Nope. Keep it going until the sun comes up. Uh, I'm just gonna end it. You no. all need to go to bed. No. Stone, you have a curfew. Go to bed. I don't have a curfew. All right, guys. Fun. I'll talk to you all later. Peace. All right. Thanks a lot. No, please. All right. I should leave the stream going. <laughs>